Welcome to Crux Investor. We're going to be speaking with Jevois Mining and M2 Cobalt about their proposed merger. In a minute, we'll be speaking with Bryce Crocker, the CEO of Jevois, and get his take on things. But first of all, let's start with Simon Clark, the CEO of M2 Cobalt. Good morning, Simon. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Matthew. We spoke back at the end of November, I believe, and um, a lot has happened since then. Yeah, that's an understatement for sure. It's been a busy time. Right. Okay. And um, obviously, the the recent uh, merger. In fact, when that doesn't close till when? Sort of. It uh, it should close early to mid May, potentially a little bit before. It all depends on the regulators and you know getting uh, circulars together and exchange approval. But it's all pretty straightforward stuff. So, you know, we already have um, overwhelming support from our shareholder base, which is great. Fantastic, and um, obviously, when we, we we talked, you were you were talking about some of the um, targets for this year um, being around the um, you know the, obviously the drilling program and sort of understanding what what had uh, happened there. Um, you were looking to raise capital and um, get into a sort of PA sort of situation for the sort of next end of next year. I guess the capital raising component has been solved by this merger. Correct. I, I met Bryce about a year ago, actually, and we we were talking, um, as Bryce will tell you, their, their vision for what they're trying to build, build is actually, it, it's wider than ours, but uh, has a lot of similar elements. If you remember, we were really focused on discovering major deposits and the potential for large-scale production. So, you know, I, I met Bryce about a year ago, actually, in Cape Town at Indaba, and, you know, very talked about their plans for a, a platform that would be multi-jurisdictional, looking to build a big player in the um, in, in the battery metal space, with a lot of focus on cobalt. So obviously there was a lot of overlap in what we were looking at doing, and we talked more and more. Bryce's team came into country, um, met our team, and um, you know, there's a lot of there's a really great fit because the technical expertise that Javoir brings on, on the development and the production side is, is first rate. It's, uh, you know, we think outstanding and we're a little bit biased, but we think we have an excellent technical team on the exploration side. So there's a really good fit for what we're looking to do. Um, and when we started talking in earnest to, with Bryce, it didn't make any sense to go out and look to raise more capital it made more sense to put the two companies together. This underpins our exploration program going forward. Um, you know, Javois has a, a strong balance sheet, um, both in terms of cash and, and liquid assets. And that's been really important for us because it's allowed us to really plan a bigger initial drill program and expand the work that we've done to date. So we're really excited about it. That's great. I mean, the, the thing that strikes me initially is obviously that Javoir come with big company experience, There's some pretty big names in there individually and, uh, and obviously the companies that they've, they've worked for. You guys are you know, junior explorers at this point, albeit in, as you, I think you've referred to before, an elephant hunting country. Um, 
Are you, how do you envisage the relationship working? Do you, do you feel initially you're going to be, I mean, you're the guys with the exploration experience. Are you going to be left alone to get on with it or is it a bit more collaborative than that? Well, my, well, my view is it's, it's more collaborative than that. Um, and again, I'll let Bryce obviously give you his views, but, but um, you know, I, I, I think, yes, we're a junior, um, but I think it's very unusual for a junior um, to have the depth of team and presence that we have in Uganda. I think before I mentioned we were, you know, we're first movers in Uganda. Mm. Um, my colleague, Dr. Hinton, has been there for 13 years. And she's built a really good presence, a really good network. We have a team of 30 people there. So for a junior to have that depth in the area of expertise, you know, we think is pretty unique. Mm. And, you know, we combine it with a, with a management team that, that very much exploration focused, but has had a number of successes in a number of projects around the world. Mm. And so I, 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 think, I think there's a very good overlap um, clearly, as you point out, the big company expertise and the depth of knowledge on the Ojevois side definitely takes us up several notches from where we are. But I think, um, you know, when you're looking at products like Cobalt, I think you have to be able to provide a solution that, you know, you can go from the exploration side, development, production, and a lot of Bryce's expertise as well as uh, is in the whole trading side uh, beyond that. So... I think it's. I think it offers a very unique package going forward, and that's really what got me very excited. Right, and and what's your view as to what it means for shareholders in terms of how, where do they gain? When you know when when will when will they see some sort of uptick here? Because obviously, the market was difficult last year. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure, the market was difficult. Um, I think getting bigger um, and stronger and deeper makes a lot of sense in the market at this time. Um, you know, it, as I said earlier on, you know, the pretty much unanimous uh, approval from our major shareholders and, you know, certainly a lot of the earlier shareholders to the deal. Um, you, you know, we, you have the odd person who's very much in there for the exploration side of it. Mm. I think the fact that the exploration side is now going to continue and actually gain momentum is important for some. But I also think that, you know, when you look at the cobalt space, there's a lot of juniors that have talked about bringing on production and there's been very little success so far. Um, and again, I think, I, th I think there's a real opportunity for this platform. And again, that's what got me excited. So from our shareholders, um, as I say, we've got pretty much overwhelming support from those that we've spoken to, and obviously everyone's seen the the deal terms that have gone out. Um, but there's no doubt that the multi-jurisdictional side that Javoir brings and this and this broader technical team, I think from a risk perspective, from our shareholders, you know, it's not lost on them. So, so yes, there are some people in there who were typically in there for the the whole exploration side and the big risk, big return. But in general, I think they still see the huge potential here. That you know, this I think increases our chances of success. Yeah, for for, for sure. I think if I, you know, on the in the longer term, I think it will, especially if Chevrolet are able to access capital. It solves one of your major problems from for, for last year, I think, as a as a junior. Um, I got to ask. Um, it's going to be listed on the ASX. You're thinking of co-listing on the TSX, is that a function of the fact that you guys are in Vancouver or 
because if you think of African stories, typically they get a much better reception on AIM. So what was they thinking there? You know, I mean, you point out London is obviously a big place for, for African stories. Um, I think when you look at battery metals, though, um, there's a lot of uh, understanding starting to come into the North American marketplace. Um, and I think being based here and having a listing in Toronto as well as Australia gives us good coverage. I mean, when we've done a lot of our marketing on the M2 side, it's been Asia focused and European focused. Um, but, you know, there's more and more of a growing appetite in, um, in, in North America. And Toronto is certainly a very deep index in terms of mining stories. So, you know, from my perspective, I think, um, you know, it's, it's key for our shareholders and us that we, we, we continue to see the TSX listing. And again, Bryce will talk more from his side, but I think from their side, they also wanted to move beyond the ASX, have a North American presence, um, and, you know, certainly the funds in London and Africa and Europe seem to be very happy with a TSX listing. I mean, that's never been a problem for us in any of our marketing. So I think the dual listing makes a lot of sense. I think it'll allow us to cover the globe in terms of potential investors, which should be great as the story evolves. And, and you're, as an ex-securities lawyer, that's you, not me, um, what do you think um, you will be doing in terms of using both markets to almost sort of play off each other in terms of driving liquidity, a bit more volume? Otherwise, you're sitting on sort of static stock, which again, I think people suffered from last year. Bring, so I guess, bringing, how do you get retail excited and into this? Well, you know, I mean, as, obviously as a Vancouver company and a, and a junior miner in, in Canada, we do, we do have a large retail element. Um, and I think uh, I think we'll continue to see that. Obviously, the ASX has a large retail element as well. Um, but I, I, you know, I actually think it's less about which market, in a way, and more about what we do as a company. And you know, we will have drills turning in Uganda again in, in about a month's time. We're looking at a, and as Bryce will touch, we're looking at a number of major projects around the world. And we also have a, through Javoir, a very large project coming on, you know, at the PFS phase in Australia. So I think, you know, I, I think the, the liquidity side of it, if, if we can actually uh, focus on the business, deliver results, I think a lot of that will take care of itself. So I think that, that, that may well be true. But if we look at a lot of companies, again, last year, maybe a factor of the market, Maybe the fact of people just you know distracted with other brighter and shinier objects like cannabis and blockchain, etc. Um, we saw a lot of companies putting making announcements, these large catalyst moments they believed, and no one cared. Nothing happened. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a big factor of the market last year. Uh, Canada, obviously, cannabis took a lot a lot of the risk capital out of the traditional mining space. Um, from what I've seen, I think that's that's shifting back to more of a normal playing field. I mean, the cannabis is here to stay, and there's still a lot of be deals being done. Um, but I think we'll see a more a more normal market. Um, and I do believe that you're going to see like it's interesting seeing both nickel and copper starting to do pretty well over the last couple of months, which obviously are important metals for us as well and, and a big part of the battery metals thesis. And I do think you'll also see on the cobalt side the, the relative glut 
of supply that did come on in the short term, I think that'll be moved through and we'll start to see that medium to longer term, you know, a lot of the the issues around demand and supply that have been have been well written about and are out there, but have perhaps not yet, you know, been fully digested by the market. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, last year was highly frustrating. News was typically an opportunity for volume and mm. people to sell, and, I, and 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 that's been the focus. But I do think as we move through this year and as we hit more and more um, milestones, especially as part of a bigger group, I think I, I, I think we'll start to see more and more momentum there. Okay, and, and obviously I think you've got a three million bridge until the deal closes from Gervois, quite handy. Very, very handy. Um, you know, it, uh, we've got a six month program mapped out now, which will commence in, in April with some, you know, with some more drilling, expanding our initial drill program. Um, again, these are large targets. So, you know, we're looking at adding some significant more meters in terms of the amount we can drill and doing additional geophysics and geochemical work. So yes, for us, it's great. It really ha- keeps the momentum in Uganda, it keeps the team fully moving forward. And as I say, we'll be back drilling um, in, in the April t- timeframe. I think there's an expectation from you that um, Chevois will solve your financial or fund funding issues in terms of that, that will be their focus. What's their expectation of you what have you agreed that you are going to deliver for them as part of this merger? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, yes, I mean, they bring a bigger balance sheet and, and they're going to help us on the momentum side. But they do, as I mentioned, they bring diversity. They bring an exceptionally strong team that I think can really help with what we're doing, not only on the exploration phase, but... You know, we did talk before about the historic Kalembe mine in Uganda. Um, there's opportunities relating to that mine in terms of a potential restart. And with the technical expertise and the background of a lot of the Chevois team, it really gives us greater credibility as we move forward there. I mean, a big phase of that is exploration. So again, I think that's why it's a really good fit. But then beyond that, there's other East African opportunities that we're looking at as a combined group, which I think are really interesting. And then obviously, you know, Bryce will touch more on the Australian assets, but beyond that in North America, there's some potential opportunities as well. So I think, uh, you know, for me, if it wasn't just about the capital, I mean, we are junior miners, so we're used to the, the cycles and yes you know it wouldn't have been great if we you you know if we'd had to have a slower period before the markets return but we certainly believe fully in our assets and what we're doing in uganda and we would have continued to support that this just allows us to accelerate it allows us to bring in a team but again critically it allows us to look at a bunch of other opportunities which excites me and excites my colleagues great Thank you, Simon. That is a wonderful update. I'm, I'm uh, very glad that you've, um, you're in this position and I'm, I look forward to hearing a bit more from you uh, quite soon. Thank you very much. And now we're going to speak with Bryce. Good morning, Bryce. How are you? Matthew, good evening from this side, but good morning uh, across in North America. Absolutely. So you're in Melbourne at the moment, are you? Currently, yes. Is that where you're based from or where do you, where do you spend most of your time? I spend most of my time on an aircraft, it seems, but currently we, Jevois has an office here in Melbourne. Right. Uh, the bulk of the team 
uh, is based in Perth and our operational asset in well, operational project in Australia is New South Wales. Well, look, um, obviously you're, you're new to our viewers, so um, it'd be great if we can have sort of a run through of what, what Javois is and um, perhaps how you kind of came about this merger with M2. Sure. I guess for context, uh, Javois was created when I was asked to take a look at a project called Nico Young in New South Wales uh, on behalf of uh, some shareholders who've taken control, I guess, of Javois. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been in, on the ASX for 50 years. Uh, it's had a, uh, a project called Nico Young for 20 of those years, I guess. Uh, it's a laterized deposit in New South Wales, uh, the Sunrise Deposit, Blackbird Deposit, which is controlled by currently Cleantech, which is a vehicle sponsored by Robert Friedland. Uh, I was aware of Nico Young through my background, which I can touch on, uh, but it's uh, similar to the Cleantech Deposit. And at the time, I'd become aware, obviously, that uh, Robert Friedland had managed to increase Cleantech's market value to half a billion dollars. Uh, Jevois was languishing. Uh, I gave the technical data to a couple of my uh, individuals whom I was working with, with private equity, and we determined we could use a lower risk flow sheet than what had previously been considered peat bleaching. Uh, so we decided that it was worth a crack, and that's where I came on as CEO, a couple of other executives, Brian Kennedy and Michael Rodriguez came on as directors. And since then, we've been building out the team. In terms of our respective backgrounds, I, I was part of the founding management team at Extrata when we IPO'd in London in 2001. Private equity, Brian Kennedy is an operational project executive, uh, very experienced. He built the Kabali mine in the DRC as project director. Uh, he's run Mount Keith, ran Cambelda, uh, ran the Kalgoorlie nickel smelter. He ran Murrin Murrin. Uh, he ran WMC's fertiliser business. Uh, he's also spent time at Goro and uh, a lot of time in the DRC. Very experienced operational executive. He's also founded a couple of companies which have his IPO'd and then gone on to sell, to sell in trade sales. Um, I've worked with Brian for a long time. Uh, he, initially, he and I initially worked together when Extrata bid for WMC Hostile in 2004. He was part of the insider team, if you like of executives who we used, just given the hostile nature of the bid. Uh, Michael Rodriguez was operations director at Murren for a decade. And in our view, one of the most experienced uh, nickel cobalt hydrometallurgists in, in the world. At the, re- the relevance of that was at Murren, Murren, uh, it's a Glencore operation, yeah. high pressure acid leach. It also ran a heap leach for an extended period of time. Really the only commercial nickel cobalt heap leach of substance that's, that's been operated. Uh, that was a technical success, uh, commercial success, ran for three, four years. And, Ma- and Michael was at the forefront of that as operations director, uh, overseeing the whole site, the construction and the operation of the heat leach. So he's really the brains behind nickel heat leaching, but together with another individual who's worked running the metallurgy for the pre-feasibility study, David Reddit. Um, David Reddit was vice president of um, projects at Monara. Uh, our group manager of geology, David Sell. He was um, held the same role at Glencore, Monara. Um, the chair who came on, Peter Johnson, uh, was Peter ran Glo- Glencore's global nickel assets, uh, sat on Glencore's executive committee uh, for many years. He was also CEO of Monara. And I guess what we, I won't run through, through the full team, but um, obviously there's a heavy weighting of Glencore executives, um, uh, half a dozen or more behind the scenes. 
And what we're looking to create in Jevoir is a, uh, a, a mid-capitalized, mid-cap battery raw material player supplying raw materials for lithium-ion cathodes. Someone is going to fill the space if you look forward three to five years, given the dynamics for electric vehicles and um, personal electronic devices, but particularly EVs, obviously. And we're looking for Jevoir to fill that uh, role. Um, most junior mining companies lack technical depth to either raise capital, uh, construct mines, uh, commission mines, operate mines, and what we're building is essentially an operating company. A longer term horizon than most juniors who perhaps are looking towards the next fund. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at this quite. <laughs> yeah. When I approached Peter Johnson, he's, you know, he, he mentioned, you do realise you're one one hundredth of the market capitalisation of another ASX company that's approached me for a similar type role. Yeah. Uh, our pitch is that's the upside. I mean, that's typically you don't get a group of executives coming in at this end of the market. Management matters. I mean, our backgrounds, Peter's still associated with a private equity firm. I work with private equity. Uh, your readers would understand that um, the quality of assets does matter in this business, but also the people running and stewarding, uh, stewarding those assets can make a big difference in terms of whether investors ultimately realise success or end in failure. Um, so we're a group of individuals who've obviously worked together for a very, very long time. Um, I mentioned Brian Kennedy and I from 2004. I drew him in to work on Kabanga when I was sitting on the shareholders, Strata's representative or director on that project. Uh, Peter Johnson and I both sat as directors on the Nickel Institute, uh, the global leadership body for the directing regulatory affairs and for the, for the industry. So we, we all know each other. We've all worked well together, executing, constructing projects, uh, operations for a long time. And we're excited about what we can create at this in the battery raw materials space because we do see it as unique in terms of the, 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 diet, the commodity dynamics are unique. And we think that there's an opportunity to create something that's, um, that is international, um, that does have a balanced portfolio of both producing assets and exploration upside, mm. uh, and that uh, has some scale on liquidity. So for institutional investors that want to write a material check into the battery or material space, there's no leading obvious candidate for their investment. And so yeah. what we're looking to create is a vehicle that provides that. And obviously that involves elevating our market capitalization to a level which attracts institutional investment so it's hundreds of millions if not more not forgetting the fact that at this point in our evolution the retail uh, shareholder base is very important in providing liquidity and support yeah and and so i'm um, so just just on that what do you envisage that kind of profile looking like to the split between institutional which are typically longer term holds you know, or, you know, understanding that they do, they do need the ability to be able to trade in and out, if, if, you know, at, at times. The liquidity driven by retail, family office, high net worth, um, Aussie uh, retail quite active in mining last year, were they? Because um, obviously the market was... Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, our shareholder base has a high portion of retail. Uh, right. It's a, somewhat of a new market to me. I mean, obviously, I'm, my background's at Extrata, so heavily institutionalised. Um, but I think that it's over time, I see most of our capital being sourced from institutional sources, but there's an opportunity for retail to tag along on a story, which uh, is quite exciting and unique in the space, I think. Yeah, so, so how, how are you managing that in terms of, I know your understanding is around institutional and the, the experience, of, experience of the board is pretty much up there 
with institutional fundraising. So juniors need to create liquidity. They need to create interest all the time, you know, to get people in to drive the share price up. Because, um, you know, we've, we've got uh, a couple of couple investments where the companies are very tightly held, and therefore not much trading. It's, it's difficult to move the share price. So for people thinking of coming in, to the new merged entity, you know, why, why should they do that? What, what are you going to do to kind of help them? I think it just, it all comes down to execution of plans. I mean, it becomes a self-fulfilling circle. Um, we're quite different to a lot of junior mining companies. Mm-hmm. When I meet with ministers in Africa or presidents, you won't see me taking a photo to shaking hands and putting out a press release. Um, we're non-promotional. I mean, that, uh, we don't put out press releases that are meaningless, women have something to say that's important and relevant to an investment decision, or then clearly we'll update the market. But we're purposely not promotional and we're differentiating ourselves on that basis and also differentiating ourselves in terms of what we commit to, what we promise to and what we deliver. Um, I think that whilst we have an active investor relations focus, I'm also a big believer that news flow, ultimately if we deliver, that creates the liquidity events, that creates the interest. Uh, I'm not in a business, I'm not in, I don't believe in kind of um, creating news flow out of immaterial events. My job as CEO is to assemble a team that creates substantial news flow, whether it's through the drill bit, whether it's through project delivery, whether it's through acquisitions, whether it's through commercial initiatives such as offtake. That's how you create the investor interest, that's how you create the liquidity. Uh, and that's really what we're focused on. Uh, if you create something that's credible and is, uh, people clearly understand that we are going to succeed in what we're setting out to do, then I think that people will come on. But again, I just think that the, for what we're looking to do in the industry uh, and the type of processes that we're involved in, the discussions we're having with governments, the, our access to capital is quite different to most of the junior sector. And I think that ultimately the constraints that we face will be resolved over time as we deliver. Okay, so you're, you're, uh, you're, how do you summarize your story to the market then? If we can create a multi, multi-asset, multi-jurisdictional cobalt investment um, that has genuine assets that are attractive. And so we're looking, we're looking to build operations. So obviously I, we didn't assemble the board we do, to be a $50 million market cap company for any significant period of time. Um, we need, I've got guys that want to build mines that are hundreds of millions of dollars and I've got guys that want to operate mines that are also significant operations. How did you meet the M2 Cobalt guys and what is your expectation of this merger on their part? I guess you, you know, well, you've been very clear about what your role is. What's your expectation of their management team? Sure. I mean, I first uh, met Simon and his team at Indaba probably a year ago. Uh, we started seriously talking to the government and assessing the Kalembi restart opportunity around July or August 2018. Uh, started spending more time in Uganda as part of that, obviously, just given there's not a lot of exploration companies or mining companies that have been active in Uganda. Mm. Obviously, uh, Dr. Jennifer Hinton has been uh, on the ground for a long time. 
Um, so we started having an engagement, understanding how they found operating in the country, etc. As the discussions with the government of Uganda progressed, it became, and our own assessment of the Kalembi restart advanced, it became clear that there was a significant drilling component of what's required in order to restart the mine on an optimised basis. Uh, the resource which is there is non-43101, non-JORC. Um, that needs to change. There's been really no modern geophysical techniques applied, no helicopter VTEM, no ground geophysics, no downhole EM. So there's a lot of... Uh, we're excited about... There's a lot of exploration work that needs to happen and we don't have an exploration team in Uganda. Um, M2 does. Uh, as we spend time with their team, we liked what we saw technically, which isn't an observation we can often make when we are dealing with the junior market. Mm. Uh, they've gone about their program in 2018 a very appropriate way from a technical perspective, very credible. Uh, obviously, they didn't perhaps have the success towards the back end that, um, that they would have hoped for, just given the prevailing capital markets. But that's often not how exploration programs play out. They, it is an investment that takes time to realise results. And so we looked at what they had there. We looked at what we wanted to do in the event that we gained tenure um, and play a role in the restart of Columbia and KCCL. And they effectively give us a runway in terms of mobilising and exploration, functioning country, setting up a legal structure, organising access to drillers, um, assaying procedures. Uh, Dr. Jennifer Hinton's been there for almost 15 years. Mm. So she brings with herself a degree of local credibility that we obviously can't replicate in any short period of time. So for us, it was, uh, it really did make a lot of sense. Um, our primary focus is really Kalembi, uh, but equally we wouldn't be providing a three US working capital facility for them to commence their exploration program if we weren't excited about the prospects that they have there. Mm. Um, so that really, we're excited about the, the combination of the two companies, it's, it is unusual. You kind of find like-minded individuals uh, and we didn't have an exploration capability in East Africa. We're also in negotiations with the government of Tanzania across the border on the Kabanga Nickel Project. Um, and gaining a, physical present, gaining a physical kind of presence uh, in East Africa, it was the right time for us to, to move forward on that. Right, and so, I mean, but given the, the background, predominantly Glencore um, background. What made you come in at a you know, early stage exploration company rather than go and acquire something a little bit more advanced, perhaps and getting moving into development? Well, I think it really relates around the key assets. We're only looking for assets that are transformative and that, that are really gonna create a vehicle that justifies us kind of sitting here in three years and running what we hope to be a, quite a significant mining enterprise. Right. Uh, is part of that. M2 can play a key role in um, both enhancing our commercial position and, and essentially the package we can pitch to the government of Uganda. Now we've got an exploration capability that, that they like, that they know. Uh, they've got a, we've got a capability, uh, an in-country team that's known to the government um, that has a track record of, doing, of being there and executing programs in, in, in an appropriate way for a Western um, Canadian or ASX sponsor. So they bring a lot to that process. And Uganda is quite exciting. I, up until mid 
2018. It's not a country I've worked in personally, although Kalembi was a Falconbridge asset and Extrata acquired Falconbridge, so I was kind of aware of the, of the um, deposit but hadn't visited. And after spending more time in Uganda, I mean, we became increasingly excited around Kalembi and what it can represent. And Uganda is also a place where we, we became increasingly positive in terms of our ability to do business there over the longer term. Mm. Okay. Okay. And so, how, how much information or data have you been through? Because clearly, this is this is not a neurology um, kind of process. This is, you know, I think Simon's previously referred to. You know, there there've been they want to um, hunt for elephants, and I guess you do too. Um, how, how much work has your team actually done in country with the data which M2 has, has created? Uh, well, we've had full access to everything that M2 has undertaken. We've had our geology team that's gone alongside and sat down, sat down with theirs. Um, in terms of the Columbia information, we were not in a position to discuss that for commercial sensitivity reasons. Obviously, it's not a Jaguar asset today, which we hope to, with the government's support, to change. Uh, but you can assume that we're also not approaching that opportunity blind. But we are genuinely excited by what we see in Uganda. Mm. And the, 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 the geology really doesn't stop at the border. So uh, we were in a position uh, at Jevois where we, I guess, we're finishing a pre-feasibility study in Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, it's on an inferred resource. So there's a, a high, an intensive drill program which needs to happen to bring that up to the requisite level of certainty so to support a definitive feasibility study. Uh, and at this end of the market, i.e. the small cap end, um, the bank in terms of our, if I'm funding a three or four US drill program, investors at this end of the market, they want me to spend that in a place like Uganda where the rock samples are X percent cobalt and the news flow is exciting and it has the potential for an equity market reaction that's commensurate with that. Uh, infill drilling a laterite resource. I mean, we're project people. We, we understand the importance of that. Uh, it's critical. But it's also something that doesn't get perhaps your readers that excited uh, in terms of news flow, infill drilling a laterite resource and de-risking it, even though it's a critical, a critical step. And so we've, uh, we've uh, opened a data room on Nico Young. We've uh, got a number of, a large number of parties involved, uh, specifically from China and South Korea thus far. And we see that as a project which is better suited to um, being moved forward in partnership with others. Uh, and in the meantime, it's about creating a balanced portfolio. You've got how much cash are you setting on today? We have approximately uh, $10 million. At the time we announced the transaction, we then We're in Aussie dollars here, yeah? Aussie, Aussie yep. dollars on mm -hmm. a pro forma basis across both companies. Uh, right. That includes our. Cobalt 27 shareholding, which we call cash and cash equivalents, because obviously it's a it's a relatively small shareholding in a large liquid company yeah. uh, that we yeah. can turn into cash if we as and when we choose. Uh, that excludes our shareholding in eCobalt Solutions, a TSX listed cobalt company, and it also yeah. excludes our uh, bullabulling royalty, which is non-core. Right, and how how do you see your focus in terms of cash and time between? Australia coming up with this PFS and obviously earlier stage activity in Uganda. Sure. So Australia is essentially done uh, until we the PFS is about to be or it has been finalised now. It will be released as part of the shareholder documents, which are distributed to M2's 
owners. Uh, so that's, that will, for all intents and purposes, consider it a prospectus on Jebois. Um, obviously, the PFS will be 43-101 compliant. Um, and uh, that will be the first time. We're quite excited. It's the first time that we'll become uh, 43-101 registered. And uh, obviously, the retaining a TSX listing is part of that. In terms of the prioritization of cash flows, uh, Uganda is really the near-term focus. Um, uh, we, as I said, we, we had around 10 Aussie cash and cash equivalents, including the Cobalt 27 shares when we launched. Basis, the three US program that we're funding in Uganda, we'll get down to around half of that by mid-year. And at that point in time, again, we're obviously, we'll reassess what, by that point in time, we've got six months of, six months of results. Uh, we've also, um, we'll have an idea in terms of perhaps how other initiatives that we're involved in with other governments may be progressing. We're obviously very conscious of having a very well capitalized group. And I think that's the importance of that only is accentuated in these type of markets. Um, so I think that's really where the, we see one of our competitive advantages is being access to capital. And your readers may not like to hear it, but I actually don't mind weak markets because this is where we can access capital at this point in time. Whereas uh, I think the, the Canadian, the North American cobalt market is for all intents and purposes is essentially shut to new investment. I would say all our viewers and readers will be very pleased that you can access capital because it means you're not in the same position that quite a few of the juniors are at the moment. So I think it's, it's quite good news. Um, so just, just if I may finish off, so um, what are your top five reasons for shareholders to get excited about this new venture? I just think that it's pretty rare you get an opportunity to invest in effectively a call option. Uh, and if everyone will have a perspective, but it's kind of like at our current share price, I'd argue it's a free call option. So you've got a free call option over Kabanga, um, which is transformative, 60 million tonnes at 4% nickel equivalent, the best undeveloped nickel cobalt sulphide deposit in the world period. Uh, the Kalembi and KCCL, also another transformative event. Neither of these assets should typically sit within companies our size. So I think you'll see share market reactions that'll kind of reflect that if we're successful. I'm also very excited on the broader EV thematic. The reason why we chose to, to do this within Jevois and start from this end of the market is because this is where the, the upside is really, you can create something quite exciting. And I do think that, sure, there's, uh, there's a significant oversupply of cobalt today, given what's transpired out of the DRC, but that's where it, that's in the process of reversing. Inventories are being wound down and the thematic hasn't changed. The world is still going to electrify. It's still going to need the chemistries that people expected. And if anything, it's just consolidated the, um, the shortfalls that are going to be compounded within a period um, of a short number of years that was really for what we're looking to create uh, here at Jevois. Um, so I think there's a Nico Young, the pre-feasibility pre study, I think that's important, an important benchmark because up until now, nobody has really uh, had the opportunity to benchmark as clearly against other uh, projects out there. And uh, I think you can also assume that this isn't the only uh, investment opportunity we're looking at. Um, we're, we're not looking to aggregate assets for the, um, just to aggregate assets. There, there are others that are trying to do that with uh, 
underlying assets that I affectionately refer to as moose pasture. Um, we're not about, we're not moose pasture aggregators. We really focused on key assets that can make a difference to the actual physical supply of cobalt, nickel, copper moving forwards. And uh, we're, we're putting our hands on those so we can build them. And that's really where we see the leg up of our performance to make the transition but from explorer to producer, that's the uptick that it's, it's where juniors often get it wrong because it's not easy to do. You have to finance it correctly to avoid dilution. Uh, you have to construct carefully so that the commissioning runs well and you have to actually operate. And it's difficult. You need a real, there's a, there's a skill set there that again, it's a reason why juniors get it wrong because you typically don't have the depth of both technical and capital markets expertise to get it right in a way where shareholders genuinely benefit. And that's where I see our ability to provide a differentiating investment than what exists elsewhere. Uh, thank, thank you for that summary, Bryce. That was uh, very succinct and uh, quite exciting story to, uh, to run through. Um, I wish you well in the next few months. I think you've got a bit of hard work ahead of you between uh, now and May in terms of getting this merger together. But we look forward to hearing more about it uh, quite soon. No problems, Matthew. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I watched M2 Cobalt for a very long time and I actually went to visit their mine or their exploration sites as well as a mine that they were bidding for in Uganda. Um, it was the old Kalembi copper cobalt mine, extraordinarily high grade copper cobalt that was closed by Falcon Bridge I think about 20 years ago. It's really interesting and they were bidding for it and they have recently entered into a friendly merger or takeover, reverse takeover with an Australian company called Gervois Mining. Now Gervois Mining is run by some ex-Glencore guys who own a very large development property called Nico Young, um, that's nickel cobalt in Australia, but it's a very large nickel cobalt company that while it is economic, I think is probably gonna, they're gonna wait a while to put it into production. They are also presently applying for um, another mine in Tanzania that is a very high grade um, ex-Glencore property that has had about 200 million spent on it to date. They're joining with um, M2. M2 has an incredible amount of ground um, and an incredible exploration geology team associated with it in uh, Uganda. And by putting the two companies together, they get an incredible exploration resource development team with probably one of the most experienced um, nickel cobalt production teams around. Um, and by putting those two levels of expertise together and an incredible amount of expertise in operations in Africa, um, I think there's a really good chance they will get, if not at least one, but both of the properties they're bidding for and have an incredible team to take that forward. And given how prospective nickel, cobalt and copper are, um, they're definitely on my watch list. So I, I, I think this could be a very exciting merger and a very exciting company going forward. Okay. Thank you very much for watching our video. We do aim to give you informed and intelligent information with which to make your investment decisions. So if you liked what you just saw, please give us a thumbs up. And if you want to see more insightful, in-depth, honest and unbiased interviews, then please click the subscribe button. So thanks again for watching and we look forward to seeing you again soon.